thank you. All right, it's good to be here today. It's, uh, it's been cooler this week, which has made my life so much nicer. I don't know if you're as affected by humidity as I am, but my quality of life soars when it cools off, so it's been great. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to get started with prayer, and then we're going to get into this thread this morning. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for um, meeting us here, for being in this place before we arrive, for your Holy Spirit that lives in us to teach us things. God, I just, I just pray that today, uh, in, the, in the time that we spend together looking into your word and this, this truth from uh, the gospel, that uh, you would, if possible, speak through uh, me and the words that I've prepared. But if necessary, God, speak in spite of me straight to the hearts of us who are here. God, we just want to hear you speak and we want to model and mold our own life after your own. So I just thank you for um, doing that and and always showing up when we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you want to be, turn over to that. primarily in Romans chapter 3. But we are going through this Threads sermon series. And last week, uh, Major talked about the, the thread, God's character, the character of God. So I just want you to see up here, right, kind of see where we're going in this uh, sermon series. So last week, God's character. Today, the offense of sin. You can see we're spelling G-O-S-P-E-L down the side, gospel. And each one of these threads, um, where we're talking about how we can weave them into the fabric of our lives. But after today, we'll talk about the sinfulness of man today, and then the sufficiency of Christ, our personal response, or the necessity of faith that's in the gospel, and then eternal urgency— the urgency of eternity weighing down on us. And then, of course, life transformation is the last one. So G-O-S-P-E-L, maybe that will help you remember them. Possibly. Maybe. Either way, we need to, we need to know these. Because I just want to start with uh, a couple encouragements. Because right off the bat, when we talk about weaving these threads of the gospel, like we're not, we're not saying be weird. Every word out of our mouth is not, praise the Lord, or to God be the glory. You're going to walk into office and, you know, Someone put on fresh pot of coffee, like, to God be the glory. You know, that's not, that's not what this is about. So we're called to be witnesses, not be annoying or weird. And so the first encouragement is to be authentic. Let the things that we say about the gospel flow from our foundation in Jesus Christ. The work that he's doing in us, that should inform the way that we speak and talk about the gospel. So that's the first thing is be authentic. Um, Remember, too, that this whole idea of this sermon series was born out of Christians in context where the gospel is persecuted. So there are Christians uh, from the West and different parts of the world operating businesses, for-profit companies in um, the Middle East, for example. This is mainly where this, this idea came from. And they have—it's called business as missions— Bam. And so that's a, that's a big missions emphasis around the world is that you would take a business and you would operate it into, in a Middle Eastern or, a, or a, a Muslim context, but you Christians would be running it and you would treat the, your workers and you would, you would have conversations that weave threads of the gospel. But they can't say the name of Jesus, right? The people they're, they're weaving, these, they're, they're having these relationships with, you can't say those things. So that's where this whole sermon series comes from. It's this idea that people, after spending time with us, when, they, when God draws them to themselves or they step back and they look at the tapestry of their life, they're going to see these threads of the gospel that we've woven into our relationship with them. So that's, that's this whole deal here. So be authentic. And then, not just authentic, let's be authentic and let's be bold. Because I think 
we believe, or we say at least, that we believe some things about the gospel, but then it, it doesn't come out in the way we live sometimes. So we got to remember that this is why the Holy Spirit is in us. Listen to what um, Jesus says. Acts, this is in Acts 1.8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? So we're called to be his witnesses, but we're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 1 tells us that there is the power of God is in the gospel, and it is good enough to save. The power of the gospel is good enough to save us. So, I, and I think we know this because you and I, we heard the gospel at some point, right? The good news was told to us, and we turned, and we trusted in Jesus Christ, so we know it works that way. But sometimes in our head, we start to think things like, oh, they're not interested in the gospel. They're, they're not going to want to hear that from me. Or, you know, they'll never respond to this. But that, we just got to, we got to, that wrong thing, we got to recognize that that thinking is undermining the power of God that is in the gospel. Right? The power of God every time the gospel is preached. So, be authentic and, and be bold as, we, as we're talking about this threads. Not just for this week, but this whole sermon series. We're learning about the gospel so that we can, we can start to wrestle with and how is this going to affect the way that I speak and act. So be authentic and be bold. So that leads us to this thread today, which is the sinfulness of man, or, the, or in our little acronym, the offense of sin. So the questions that we're answering is, what does the gospel say about who we are? And, and very specifically, what does the gospel say about what's wrong in the world? Right? So that's, those are the two things. What does the gospel say who we are, who we are, and what is wrong in the world? Any reasonable person will look at the world today and recognize that something is off. Something is not as it should be. Something is broken. Right? We, we could just pick up a newspaper. Right? It's probably on the front page. So something is off in the, way, in the, in the world, and the way that the gospel diagnoses the human condition, the human problem, the problem with humanity, is very important. Because if we, have, if we think what's wrong with the world is not what the gospel says, then we will be looking for a solution that the gospel is not providing. So we need to recognize that the, what the gospel says about who we are, and more specifically the problem of humans— then if we, if we understand that to be true, then we will go, oh, okay, now I see why the gospel is the answer to the problem. Does that make sense? That's why, that's why we take a whole sermon to talk about sin and the sinfulness of man, right? And the, and the issue at the core of who we are as people. So here, here's what the gospel diagnoses the human condition as, and it's a paradox. It's something that sounds kind of absurd, but when you really get into it, it's true. I think this will resonate as true with all of us. And here's the statement. It just says this. We are created, we are each created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. So we're created by God, but we're corrupted by sin. So we're, we're going to look at the first part briefly and then spend uh, the bulk of the sermon talking about just what does the corrupted by God mean? Or corrupted by God, corrupted by sin. Whew, good job. Make sure you're paying attention. Don't let me just say anything up here. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So we are created in the image of God in a way that animals and plants and all the rest of creation is, does not have. So men and women, we are, we are created in the image of God. And we see this in Genesis. Listen to how God describes um, when he's going to make us. He said, just as Genesis 1, 26, 27, it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is, this is where we see our being created in the image of God. This is what it looks like. We have the capacity for rational thought, right? We have the capacity for moral choices. And we can discern between right and wrong, and we have the, the ability to choose between the two, right? That's different. We have the ability or the capacity for hard work and artistic creativity, we are innovative and imaginative. We, cre- we create and we construct. We dream, right? We can dance. We build. We draw. We can write. We can make music, right? We have all these things. We, we crave social interactions and relationships. We, we long for love. But at the same time, we also have the capacity for sinful thoughts, for sinful motives, for sinful actions, right? So we see both in us at the same time. This unbelievable, uh, made in the image of God, but then corrupted by sin. Listen to what John Stott, our pastor, he just sums this up really well. He says, human beings are the inventors of hospitals. We invented hospitals for the care of the sick, of universities for the acquisition of wisdom, and of churches for the worship of God. But they have also invented torture chambers, concentration camps, and nuclear arsenals. This is the paradox of our humanness. We are both noble and ignoble, both rational and irrational, both moral and immoral, both creative and destructive, both loving and selfish, both godlike and bestial. So this is why how we diagnose the human condition, including the problem at the core of humanity, is it's going to have everything to do with how we, we look for and seek after the solution. Right? It's going to, it's going to influence the way that we identify what our need is. What is the need that we have? So we really got to go through these three things that will help us understand what we, what we mean, what, what is the problem at the base. And obviously we're calling it sin. We're, call, we're talking about the sinfulness of man, but we need to really, we need to understand what this means because at the bottom, it's going to, when we get to the bottom of it, it's going to really highlight our need for Jesus. So here we go. Number one. What does it mean that we're corrupted by sin? We have rebelled against God. By the way, there's, there's notes on the back of your uh, fill-in-the-blank notes if you want to follow along. So that first blank there, uh, we have rebelled against God. And we're going to be looking at Romans 3, 12. So if you're looking at Romans there, Romans 3, there's this whole section on the sinfulness of man. And so, and then in my, in my Bible, it says, there's a little heading. It says, no one, in, no one is righteous. So if we, if we scroll down there to Verse 12, we see it says, All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There was no one who does good, not even one. That's harsh. Like, no, no one, no one does good. Not even a single person does good. And this is where we got we to go, what does it mean when it says right at the beginning, all have turned away? Right? This, this, is, this means that no one has glorified God as God. We've all rebelled against God as God, right? Does that make sense? It's the same picture we see in Genesis 3. And we had a sermon on this a few weeks ago, and Fulton came and spoke on this. It was excellent. But he shared that in, in the picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, this is essentially what they're saying. Adam and Eve said, even if God said not to eat of this tree, we're going to do it anyway. He's not, Lord over, uh, he's not Lord over us. We can do what we want. And that's what they're saying when, they, when God says, don't eat from that apple. And they're like, <laughs> right? 
This, this is what we got to remember too. This is the God who tells storm clouds, come, and they come. He tells mountains, you go here. He tells oceans, you'll go this far. And he, anything, everything in creation, he tells wind to blow, he tells rain to fall. Everything obeys immediately until you get to man and women, men and women, and we have the audacity to look at that God and say, No. That's what's at the heart of this rebellion against God. We're turning away from God and to ourselves. We are Lord. We decide. We make the rules. We'll tell you what's right. So it, it's, it's a, it, the essence of sin is a, is a turning away from God and to ourself. And that's why I put up there, just the essence of sin, self. So God's order, self first, and then others, and ourselves last. And then sin came along and twisted that up. Now it's all about us. It's all about we, we, we do what we want. We worship ourselves. We'll talk about that a little more. And then others, if, if we need others, and when we need others, it's, there's, there's sin involved, even messing up our relationships with others, manipulation and selfish motives. And then if God is in the scene at all, he will be a distant background after that. So that's, what, that's how sin disorders everything. So we might not actually say out loud, I worship myself, but that's what is happening. That's what we're doing. And so to, to acknowledge that and go, that's the problem with sin. I worship myself. Look at our vocabulary. Literally hundreds of words start with the word self. And I threw some on the screen. Self-esteem. No, self-centered. Self-esteem. Self-confidence. Self-advertisement. Self-gratification. Self-glorification. Self-pity. Self-applause. Self-will. Self-motivation. On and on and on. So apparently we need to have a really deep vocabulary to describe our preoccupation with ourselves. Like we have that as a need in our life. It just comes up a lot. And so there's two ways that I want to look at really quickly. Ways that we focus on self that are both sinful because they, they take God out of his rightful place. And the first one is two main ways, big categories that we fall into. Number one is self-indulgence. This would include the irreligious people. The people are like, man, I don't care about, you know, any, any religion, not just Christianity, just religion in general. And they live their life according to their own set of rules, right? So self-indulgent. They'll just indulge in, in anything. They delight, in a sense, in breaking all the rules. They do what they want to do, whenever they want to do it, chasing after pleasures and possessions and whatever their hearts desire. And in a culture as wealthy as ours, we have invented many, many ways to be self-indulgent. Like, we, we're creative in our self-indulgence. And then, though, there is an equally sinful, like, deceptively dangerous way that we focus on self, and it's called self-righteousness. And this includes the religious people. The people in any religion who think that by the things they do, that they will somehow earn God's blessing and therefore salvation. Like, if I read my Bible, or if I pray, or if I go worship, or if I go to church, then God will bless me, see that, bless me, and save me, right? And, and the, the really scary thing is the Bible says that many Christians, many people who profess to be Christians, call themselves Christians, are, are subtly, deceptively in this trap of doing what looks to be good and looks to be what God is asking, but is really just rebelling against God by making the focus on ourselves, And here's the deal. Even this, self-righteousness, is an act of rebellion against God because we're living in an attempt to save ourselves. So in self-indulgence, I don't care, do whatever I want, but in self-righteousness, it's like I'm going to do something that's going to cause God to then love me. But even in that, we're acting in rebellion against what he's told us that he 
want. And what he's telling us in Scripture, we are, in our sin, unable to do that. Anything that would cause us to have, to improve our status or relationship before God. So all of us fall into one or both of these categories. And at sometimes it's both. You know, we're living over here, self-indulgence. And maybe my, my self-righteous church friends don't know that, but I'm, I'm over here in both sides. And here's the deal with both of these. The core problem in all of our lives, whether you try to keep all the rules, right, or you break all the rules, is that it's all about us. The focus is still wrong. It is still us. Self-righteousness which is almost an oxymoron. Our rebellion, then, our sin, leads to the next part of this thread, which is we are separated. That's the next word there. We are separated from God. And that's Romans 3.23. So scroll down to uh, verse 23 of Romans. It's a very simple verse, very, very cut and dry. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every, all that self-righteousness all that self-indulgence does not, it, it, is the, it is what is the problem between us and God. He is holy. Remember, last week, Major did a really good job of explaining God's holiness and showing us how other and completely separate he is from all things that are evil or wrong, right? So God can have nothing to do with our sin. And, and I try to do all this work, and I'm going to pray and read my Bible. I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do things, and I still fall short. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So this is, this is a huge problem. In fact, uh, in that, that uh, sermon that Fulton preached a few weeks ago about Genesis 3, he talked about three effects of sin. And we don't have time to go into them, uh, but you can jump onto the podcast and listen to them. And it, they were guilt, shame, and fear. So they're blanks on your paper, but we're not going to talk about them. <laughs> guilt, shame, and fear. They're really ways that we, as humans, because we know intuitively, we feel this disconnect, this sin is causing a problem in our lives, we will try to cover over our sin and hide our sin through, or to, to, to cover over our guilt, the guilt that we feel when we don't do the things we know we should do or we do the things we know we shouldn't do. We have this guilt or shame or fear, and entire cultures are based on this. I didn't tell this to the first group, but when I was in um, South Sudan, a family came and wanted us to pray over their house and their kids because their teenage son, they were Christians in the church, but one of their teenage boys, because of the culture they lived in of fear, had gone and purchased totems and idols, essentially, just idols, and put them in his room, or, okay, room is generous, his area of the hut, and was worshiping them out of fear that his ancestors were going to come and do something horrible to him if he didn't. So he was worshiping on Sunday, but then he was living in a culture of fear too. So guilt, shame, and fear will come out of us because we're trying to cover up or hide our sin. One of the things that we do too is we try to minimize our sin and act as if our sin isn't really that bad, right? And so we're not, why, why, why do we have to be separated from God? I'm not, I'm not as bad as filling up you know, judgmental name over there, you know, or I haven't done these things or whatever. And, and that's when we need to, we, we fall in a subtle trap is thinking about our sin as if it is not the seriousness and weight that it actually is before God. There's the story of a man who um, was in the Middle East and he was just riding in a taxi cab and they'd gotten in this conversation about God and why does God not just forgive? He's loving. Why doesn't he just forgive everyone? And so the man is trying to explain to the driver and he says, well, here's the deal. If I were to slap you or punch you in the face to the driver, what would you do? And he'd be like, I'd be upset and angry and yell at you and call your mom names, whatever. Then he goes, well, what if I was to walk up to a policeman on the street and punch him in the face? 
Oh, okay, well then you might get beat up and then you would definitely find yourself in jail, right? So he's, well, what if I went and I punched the king of your country in the face? And the driver goes, you'd be dead. You would die, right? So the same offense, the same sin, has different consequences, right? Different levels. So here's the deal. Our sin, the smallest sin, one sin, and then we have committed millions in this room, thousands, be thousands. One sin against an infinitely holy God is worthy of infinite punishment. That's the weight of our sin before God. So, so let's not fall into that trap of thinking that we're not really that bad because our sin is drastically keeping us away from God. It's the major problem. So that leads us to the last part, the last part of this thread, which is we are dead without God completely and totally dead. Look at Romans 6.23, and I highly encourage you to memorize this, underline it, memorize it, know this one. Listen to this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I only get to preach on the, you know, the sad part at the beginning. (laughs) For the wages of sin is death, but coming in the next several sermons is the next part. They get to talk about the happy, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But here's the deal. We are completely unable to save ourselves. That's what what dead people can do. Nothing. There's there's nothing we can do. It's none of us decided one day, you know, I'm going to be born now. It's time to be born. And then just, we were born. No, completely, helplessly unable to do anything. And this is where we're getting to the core of the gospel. All of a sudden now, our sin is leading to this place. This is this. You can't save yourselves. We can't save ourselves. No matter how much we pray, no matter how much we read the Bible, how much we go to church or worship God, or how much good we do in the world, we are dead without God. So we desperately need him to come and give us his life. And praise God, he's done that, right? Amen. I don't even get to talk about that. But just know <laughs> that is coming. Like, that's, that's the answer to this problem. And, and here's the deal. As sinners, we need to know this, too. God is not offering to meet us halfway. Like, I died on the cross, and I've covered all your sin, Jesus says to us. If you'll just come, meet me, clean up your act, and then we've got it. We'll, we'll figure this out. I'll cover your sin. Whatever. No, Jesus, God goes all the way. And by his grace, if we will believe... He will bring us from death to to life. So here's the deal. Right now, we need to stop covering up and trying to overcome our sin, you know, or or, or removing it or downplaying our sin. We need to embrace the fact that we are sinful. It is in us, right? It is the the consequence of the fall. And here's the deal. When we we realize that, that, that the reality of all mankind is sinful, we have to then, it leaves us desperate desperately in need of God's grace and the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's where the sinfulness of man leads us. So hopefully now we're seeing how important it is to diagnose the problem of sin in all mankind because then it leads to the solution that God has provided, which is Jesus, which we'll learn about later. Yes, it leads us to coming back a couple weeks (laughs) for the next couple sermons. Here's the deal too. Uh, we need to understand this fully because if the problem is that we, we've just kind of messed up, you know, then really any old religion will do. Any old religion that just has a list of good things that can counteract, like that, that's enough. 
If, if we're just kind of bad, you know, if we're just, you know, basically good. Every Disney movie, every created, has the worldview that we're basically good. At the, you go down the core, you know, we're, we're going to be good. And we just, it's usually the world that's at fault, right? That's, you, that's what made you bad. But no, if our problem is that we're dead without God, then only the gospel of grace coming to us will be good enough, Amen. right? That, that's why this is so huge. So then the last little bit of this sermon is just to then talk about or begin a conversation really about how would we talk about sin and the sinfulness of man and our rebellion and our separation and our deadness. How do we talk about that in our conversations with other people? Because I'll tell you what we shouldn't do, and that is to go up to the water cooler conversation and be like, you know what, Bob? You need God to save you from your sin and yourself. Like, most people are not thinking they need to be saved from anything. And at that moment, the only thing they're thinking they need to be saved from is you. Like that, that's not, there, there are ways to have these conversations where people can listen. Like we want, we want to weave it in so when they step back, it's, it's a beautiful picture of God's grace and not just the sinfulness of man too. We don't spend a whole week just hammering off the sinfulness of man as often as we can. And next week we talk about his, you know, his love for us. Like we're weaving all these in together as it comes up. So yeah, as we talk about these things, they're to get us thinking. None of these are like, say this when you go to the water cooler. Well, Bob, you know, that's, you're going to have to take these, contextualize them into your life and in your relationships. And a lot of it is being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Two, who will, who will help you to know what to say and when to say it. So you'll hear that a little bit in here. Number one, this one you can do all the time. Speak respectfully to and about all people as individuals created in the image of God. You see how the gospel now, the gospel truth that you were created in the image of God but corrupted by sin should mean that I speak to and about my wife in ways that build her up respectfully about who she is because she is a child of God. I should back that up. Because she is created by God and has value and dignity because of that, that alone, right? So it should, be, it should affect the way that we talk to our bosses, about our bosses, the way we talk about our president, whoever's the president at the time, it should affect the gospel truth. This truth should affect the way that you talk about terrorists in other countries because even they were created in the image of God, right? It's, it's huge. So every time we tear down somebody or, or we, we talk bad about something disrespectfully, we are undercutting the truths of the gospel. Every instance of gossip is, and slander is undercutting the gospel because One of the truths at the core of the gospel is that all people were created in the image of God, loved by him. So that's number one. Speak respectfully to and about all people as individuals created in the image of God. Number two, look intentionally for opportunities to encourage others by the grace of God. And so here, God's grace to us as people, human beings, is on display in our lives all the time, in Christians and in non-Christians. So look for that in situations and circumstances where, where people are interacting with whatever. There's just situations going on. Speak to God's grace in their life. And for sure, when God's grace is, uh, is poured out on you in a variety of different ways, acknowledge that. Say that. Because we want people to see he lives his life with an awareness of God's grace in his life because he, desperately, he lives in desperate need of Jesus Christ, aware of who we are in Christ and our need for him. So number three, Share confidently in view of the regenerating power of God. This is kind of what we talked about at the beginning, but we're serving a God who has the power to create and recreate. 
so we can share confidently, meaning you can go into your workplace and walk up to the hardest heart that you can think of, the person you're like, they will never, they will never, you know, because of whatever you know about them, and you can know that God's power is way powerful enough to change that person's heart. So we're speaking not just like, oh, this is not going to work, that's dumb. It's we speak confidently because the Holy Spirit is working in us to make the gospel or to give the gospel power to save. Does that make sense? It also allows us to, to walk into the darkest culture, the, the, the most unreached people group around the world, and speak confidently that when the gospel is preached, people will respond. Right? That, that's, where, that's what this is talking about. Share confidently. So then we have these three things. Talking about rebellion, how do we talk about separation from God, how do we talk about death, which is a great way to earn us end a sermon, talking about death. But here we go, talking about re- rebellion. How, what are some ways we can do this? And I put some up on the screen. We need to acknowledge the reality of sin around us. Sometimes we like to take the edge off of sin, like you know it's sin, I know it's sin, so let's just not talk about it. Or, or, or we don't want to use certain words. So, you know, we're trying to be more politically correct or, you know, psychologically acceptable or whatever. So we might say things like, we'll look at worry and we'll call it obsessive compulsive. Or we'll look at an adultery, adulterer or adultery and call it an affair, right? We'll call sinful anxiety simply stress or simple stress. We need to call sin, sin. Everywhere, everywhere that we see it. But then, or in addition to that, we need to acknowledge and point to the root of sin. Like many people, it is, being, it is commonly believed that the problem, the evil that we see in the world are, are external factors. We were born good and we've been corrupted by the world that we live in, right? But we need to speak to the root of sin. We know from the gospel that the root of sin is in me. So in every situation that you or someone else is going through, like we need to point to that. Don't just talk about it at the surface. Point to the core, the root of the problem is my heart. It's my heart that's prone to sin. I have a propensity to run away from everything that God has told me to do, right? So when, when someone is sinning, this is what they're doing. I, I want what I want more than what God wants. I don't believe his word and I don't desire to obey it, right? So we, we speak to the actual root of the problem. And this is so hugely important with kids, we, with our kids, we need to have gospel-saturated conversations with them so that they understand that that attitude that they just, you know, gave you or they just bunked their brother or sister over the head with some toy, that, that the issue is a heart issue. It is some kind of, of sin that is, we're, we're seeing on the outside. So we're not just trying to correct behavior, just, you know, mold them into these little automatons because that's just self-righteousness. We're trying to expose the fact that the root of all of our problems, adults and kids, is a propensity to sin. The, the heart is the issue. So we speak about how my heart is constantly drawn towards sinful desires and actions as well, which, of course, then leads to my constant need for Jesus. So we, got, we also, it's really easy to talk about sins that we don't struggle with, you know? So we need to talk about sin in all of its forms, self-indulgence, self-righteousness. We need to talk about those things and, I, and, and be okay to talk about them really. Next is, is talk about our separation. So how do we talk about the fact that we're separated from God? The, really, this is talking about, so how, the weight of sin is huge. We already said it, our sin before a holy, infinitely holy God is worthy of infinite punishment. So, so we shouldn't joke about sin. 
the smallest little sin is not funny anyways, but it carries with it an eternal weight. So in the movies we watch, in the music we listen to, like, are they glorifying sin or making sin out to be funny? Like, I have sat through movies where it is act, they're, they're, sin is the subject, and it is to be funny. The things that are going on would all just be categorized as a comedy. But even the music we listen to, the things that we're, we're, we're putting in, or the things that we're saying. Just last week, I made some joke about gluttony. You know, I don't know what material is there, there is out there for jokes, but gluttony is a hard one. And I managed to make a joke out of the fact that I'd eaten tons or something. And I immediately was like, oh my gosh, that is sin. And before God, it is infinitely weighty, right? And so we don't, don't treat sin of any kind lightly at all, especially, uh, you know, in the church, but not especially, just ever. And then finally, talking about our deadness. So when the, when the topic of death comes up, how do we speak about the gospel, weaving this thread, the sinfulness of man, our deadness without Christ, into conversations? And here's the deal. When, when we're, we're reacting or responding to a non-Christian's death, we need to speak with appropriate honor. We need, we need to not criticize or, um, I can never remember this word. Anyways, talk bad. Denigrate anybody in their death, right? We, we speak with appropriate honor, regardless of who they are or how they live their life, because they, were, they are uh, created by God, in the image of God, even the worst of people. But we also need to speak with biblical honesty. Sometimes Christians, especially in, in heavy, high Christian cultures, um, which we kind of live in, we have this, this tendency to when someone dies, or not any time, that we start to act like everyone goes to heaven. Like we all become universalists that, that regardless of your response to Jesus Christ, or your response to the gospel in your life, that somehow all of us will just go to heaven, right? So we need to speak with biblical honesty. Biblically, it's not true. People who die in their sin and have not trusted in Jesus as Savior and, and Lord, have not followed him as Lord, they do not, they cannot be in the presence of God. So they are forever eternally separated from him. Forever. We call that hell. So we need to be careful that we, we're speaking with appropriate honor, we're speaking with biblical honesty, but even as I say that, then we speak with personal humility because only God knows the state of someone's heart. Right? So we don't then just pass judgment off on people. That's not, that's not what that's about. But, but we be aware that, that our tendency is, is to um, start to act like everyone is just going to be saved. When there is a clear way to be saved and God gave us that and it's not up to you or me to de- determine what that is or what that looks like, he said, and that's called the gospel. And then how do we talk about Christians when they die? Sometimes we get in the, the thinking that, you know, we just, our, the funeral should just be like super happy, like yay. Like there, there is deep sadness and mourning when a Christian brother or sister dies, right? Because we're missing them. We're, we're not going to have their fellowship, but there's an underlying sense of hope and joy because it's only for a time. Like, I'm going to be with them, and I know that they are now living with God without the reality of sin that I struggle with every day, right? So there's hope and joy even as we're talking and interacting with, uh, you know, around funerals of people who are Christians. But, but, if, but again, sometimes there's Christians who think, oh, well, we're not supposed to ever be sad or whatever, but there's, there's deep mourning that occurs when someone dies. So talking about our deadness um, 
funerals in general bring this topic up a lot, but here's the deal. Like, we cannot save ourselves. That's the goal of this whole thing. So as we close in prayer, um, I'm going to have Mickey come up and, and play. Um, but just two things, really. One is, on your paper, or wherever you're writing notes, write down the name be thinking about the names of people in your sphere of influence that do not know Jesus Christ. Because, not just because of this thread, but because of the gospel as we're discussing now, like we need to be praying for them because it is going to be God who draws them to himself. It's going to be God who enables them to choose him and it's going to be God who walks with them all the way through their life. So God is all in this. So pray now for them because if anything's going to happen, it's going to be through and by the power and grace of God. So, so be praying and pray consistently for them knowing that we don't know God's timing or planning in their life. We don't know when it is that they're going to respond and so we, we need to be praying. That, 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 and then how do we, is it going to be, are we going to be used by God to bring someone, those people, to Jesus? Are we going to be used to, by him to weave threads of the gospel into their life? Be praying about that. People at, at work, people in your sphere of influence. Um, so that's the first thing. But the second thing, as we enter this time of prayer, is, is to be thinking about our own sin. Like, we've got to be very careful that we have not been falling into these traps of self-righteousness or self-indulgence. Like, when we are aware of sin in our life, it is a massive offense to a holy God, and so we just simply repent and confess, and God is faithful and just and removes that sin. He's already paid the price. And so even now today, we're going to have people over there who will pray with you. You can come to the front and pray by yourself. You can pray where you are, but be thinking about those two things. Who is far from God that needs to have the Holy Spirit show up in a mighty way to, to wake them up from their, their sin and their deadness so they can turn and trust in him? But then what in your own life is it that, that needs to be removed so that we can have that relationship with Jesus Christ? So just, uh, just join me in prayer. Mickey's going to play. I'm just going to give a couple minutes and then I'll close in prayer. Jesus, I just, I'm just thinking of my cousin who lives in San Diego and grew up in church and worshipped and whatever, studied the Bible with, with me and then just uh, became an atheist and a strong um, anti-God person. And God, I know that you are the only one who can draw him to yourself and I just pray that you would do that. I think of all the names that have been written down right now representing people created in the image of God who have been corrupted by sin like we all have. God, and I just pray that, that we as a faith family here would be thinking in, in practical ways that we could love them, reach out to them, um, show them these, these threads of the gospel, your character and, and the sinfulness of man and the, the urgency of eternity, the necessity of faith, and then the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to pay the price and make it right, that we can have a right relationship with God through Jesus. I just pray that you would be, you would doing that work massively um, through us as we're just obedient and faithful to you. I'll just think about um, the sins in our own life, sins that sometimes we, we get comfortable with or they get, they get normalized because we don't, we don't wrestle with or understand how hard and what a barrier they are in our relationship with you. And so I just pray that you would remove that from my life, from, from all of our lives um, so that we can continue to experience the fullness of your, your love and your life working out in us. 
and this the whole process of walking alongside other people, discipling other people, we would open our lives and, and, and invite them to grow along with us um, as we remove that sin and confess it to one another. I just thank you and praise you for the time we had today to, to look at this um, pretty difficult, hard subject, but one that is vital if we're to understand the beauty and awesomeness of the gospel as you showed us in your word. We just thank you for what you're doing in this church and what you're going to continue doing as you build the kingdom around the world. Um, we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.